The church has a wealth of images where the body is exposed appropriately, aka, for instance, the Sistine Chapel, yeah. where the body is expo- exposed appropriately. And John Paul called, for instance, the Sistine Chapel the shrine to the theology of the body. Okay, everybody, welcome back to A Reason for Hope Candid. We have uh, Steve Picorni on today. Steve, how are you, sir? I'm great. Great to be here with all of you. Yeah, so so great to have you here. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your ministry. Uh, Steve is um, the founder of Freedom Coaching, which you founded back in 2011. And uh, it's, um, it's a one-on-one mentoring system dedicated to helping those with an attraction and compulsion to pornography. Right, Steve? That's correct. So we're going to dive into, um, I guess... Uh, yeah, the the danger and the problem and the issue, uh, the uh, the abyss of of pornography, mm-hmm. uh, what we can do about it, how we can help everybody, um, and and more importantly, what Steve is doing um, in in his ministry to to help people essentially break free. Um, Steve, I, I noticed the painting behind you while while you got up before the interview. That is cool, man. That is really cool. This is near and dear to my heart and the work that we do in Freedom Coaching. So have any of you seen this before? No. No. Mm-hmm. So um, the artist is trying to capture in this image of Jesus and Peter, right? And the moment when Peter takes his eyes off Christ and then begins to go into, uh, into the water and cries out, Lord, save me, and he's right there. I, as I sit here and I contemplate and I, I, I look at this and I, I, I take this in, in through deep prayer, the idea strikes me that maybe, maybe Christ is in the water. Maybe he's inviting us to go deep into the water with him to drink deeply the living water that he has for all of us, right? That, that we, and, and his water is free for us. He wants us to, and, and, and like on this issue of pornography that we're talking about, um, we, we in, our, in the work that we do, we describe this as a septic tank. It's all around us. The movies we see, the, the, the magazines as you check out at the, your supermarket, especially the stuff that we see online, it's all around us. And no matter how it's dressed up with, with celebrities and their million-dollar campaigns or all the lights and everything, a septic tank is a septic tank. It'll never satisfy. And this is why I think we're, we're so empty and we're looking for something else. And it's only the fresh water, the fresh water of Christ that will actually satisfy us. So I leave that there, obviously for us to see that, but but a reminder what I'm doing in, in this very important work. Absolutely, and always to keep our eyes on the Lord. Um, yeah. You know, when Peter took his eyes off, that's when he began to sink. So, um, so Steve, uh, I guess to start, um, to, to dive into your ministry and the work you do and the knowledge that you've gained in doing so and helping people and coaching people one-on-one. Uh, before we get into your ministry, can, can you touch on um, just your, your viewpoint, your perspective on really the dangers of pornography? Uh, maybe first from sort of a, a micro-individual level, like how, it, how it's dangerous and how it um, really just destroys the soul of the individual. So it's sort of a micro level. And then maybe uh, if you could give some insight uh, on a second level from like a cultural macro level, a worldly level, like how how a culture that is so uh, invested in, in pornography, 
how how that how that how bad that is for uh, on a macro level for the world. Sure, and good. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the opportunity again to to share on this. So let's break it down for on a couple levels, right? Obviously, on the on the macro level and and breaking that apart. Let's start with men. I would I would argue that this is um, this is pornography forms men to be zombies. Right. Think about what zombies are. Zombies are flesh-eating creatures. They're not rational. They're simply on impulse and looking for something to feed on. Right. This is exactly what it does, especially in men's brains, where the focus is only on the appearance, especially of what what they think women look like. And when you try to bring that into a real relationship, well, they're going to be sadly disappointed. And this is what we're finding in a lot of the relationships. And I'll come back to that. For women, and, and there's an increasing number of women who are getting into this. So this is not simply a male issue. We in our work in freedom coaching, we work both with men and women. Um, and what we find is it's about one third, one half of the viewers of visually stimulating porn- pornography are women. Whereas as women typically will get into this based on what they hear in many cases. I was working with a client who, when we sh- she was eight years old, it was a certain secular artist that drew by those lyrics of this female artist drew her into awakening this erotic desire inside of her. And, um, and so that's where music again, can be very, very powerful here. And we can say that especially any pornography is any visual written or audio that is trying to get to use someone. And so if, if the programming has been that um, there's no distinction between men and women, then women need to be like broken men. But obviously, the way in which what they're pursuing is going to be a little different. And then this is going down, obviously, especially in the the pornography industry, doesn't care who you are, doesn't care how old you are. So it obviously is getting younger and younger. This is where we find teenagers are being involved with this. The average, it's been estimated about 90% of teens between the ages of 12 to 17 have been exposed to pornography. The average age of exposures is anywhere between eight and 11 years of age. So it's not just a matter of if you're gonna be exposed, but when, and then going younger and younger, I mean, with, with what we're doing in our work, I mean, this is the world I live in, the, the, uh, the areas that we see this. These young kids, these, I mean, these are grown adults have been in this maybe for a few decades. They were exposed when they were four or five years of age on certain levels, right? And so that forms here in just one story that those images here, because we as, as human beings, the things we see we want to emulate, right? There's an old um, nursery rhyme that says, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear. And one story that I share in my book, Redeemed Vision, um, this is from a friend of ours, and this was their uh, their daughter was hanging out with a five-year-old boy. And the five-year-old boy tried to sexually assault their daughter. And in the story, and uh, thank God, nothing really happened in there. But what we came to find out was that five-year-old boy was exposed to pornography from his 16-year-old sister who had been uh, into same-sex pornography. And so this is uh, these are just micro, obviously, indiv- individual examples here. But then you go on, these individual men, uh, boys and girls are going to grow up, right? And, and um, along the normal course of time, we want to get married, right? So you bring you try to bring this into a relationship, or this is what we're, what's going on in our head, what's going on in our heart, where, what, what we've been seeing, what we've been formed in. Um, what if your spouse 
or your girlfriend or fiance has no interest in this, right? You're talking about the breakdown of that relationship here. And if what we believe in our faith, that marriage and family is the foundation of civilization and culture, what you're doing is you're creating a, um, a, a landscape of individuals who do not know how to love. And what we find on the micro level is what pornography does, it steals our joy. It steals the ability to create empathy with others. And if you want to create genuine relationships, you need to relate to each other as human beings. And then on a, on a, on a big macro level, if we're going to take that, these individuals who have been formed for what, 50, 60, 70 years now, where pornography has been basically acceptable in many cases, these are the politicians. These are the ones who make the rules. These are the ones on the school boards. Just take the the recent uh, recent uh, studies and recent examples of school boards in in what is happening in uh, the school books that children yeah, are receiving. Crazy. Pornographic. And then the whole issue even of transgender coming in, the radical confusion on who is male, who is female. There's no man or woman. All of these have their roots on masculine and feminine. And if we take this on a religious perspective for our faith, right, it is male and female that is to reveal who God is. Well, if we're radically confused about who male and female is, how are we ever supposed to encounter God? It makes it very, very difficult. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... um. That's profound. Hey, everybody. We got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones, and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. I, th I think um, you kind of bled into it, but our, our current culture is hyper-sexualized. Everything on television is almost seems somewhat pornographic most times. Um, yeah. When did our culture begin becoming obsessed with objectifying the body? And frankly, how how does that affect an adolescent's development? Great. Jimmy, great question. So, so what we would say here, you're welcome. So on here, what we would say is, um, I, I mean, obviously, pornography in a certain sense has been around since time began. People have had a, had a wrong understanding of the human body. But we've seen, especially since the 1950s, and I would, I would pinpoint especially either Alfred Kinsey in the late 1940s, and then with the misunderstanding of, of human sexuality and his false reports of the human sexuality, and who picked up on his studies was Hugh Hefner with Playboy magazine. And an interesting idea, maybe you've never heard this before, the YMCA, the Young Christian uh, Men's Association, okay, um, be from the time of its beginning, okay, all the way till about 1963, the men themselves, you can look up pictures of this, males swam naked. Did you know this? Okay. There are stories about the very healthy man, a uh, very good man. Um, have you ever heard of Mr. Rogers? Okay. He was known to swim naked. It was healthy. 
what's that all about? Okay. And, and, and there's images of basically of, of, of meats, swim meats, right? The males were doing this. And, and, and this is in the middle of the image that I have is that in Iowa, this is the middle of conservative Iowa, Christian Iowa, right? And, and what was it? It was because the body was just the body. Okay, you did, and, and a lot. Some of it had to do with the um, the, the filtering uh, in the in the swimming pools, things like that. But it, it, there was no other thought about that. It was single sex, male swim, swim single there. Females, I think it was a light clothing that that female swam in, but it was nothing, nothing, nothing weird there. Well, what what Hugh Hefner introduced into the culture was the idea instead of just the body being the body. Now it was a broken understanding of the body. Instead of seeing the whole person, now we're simply looking at mere body parts. We begin to judge a person by what somebody looks in those areas. So the focus is on that. And then clothing itself would especially follow in that areas, right? Yeah. So then you get to about 1963, where the cultural milieu, pornography is everywhere in situations where it was just a healthy expression of the body, for instance, the YMCA. And no, no, I'm not advocating that everybody goes, everybody goes around and swims naked. I want to make that very clear because <laughs> I think those times have passed. But what, what we find is this is a massive change in the way in which humanity has dealt with it. So in 1963, people were just very uncomfortable because of now the way we're seeing our own bodies and the way we're seeing others' bodies, we have to shut that down. But we have to ask the question, right? Are we in a, are, do we, are we having healthier relationships? Do we have a healthier understanding of the body? Do we treat each other with greater respect now than we did in 1963 or 1960? In many cases, I would say absolutely not. Something yeah. has gone wrong here, yeah. right? So, We've objectified the body. The body itself is viewed as something to be used instead of as we as Catholics believe, we, we, are, we don't have bodies, but in a very real sense, we are our bodies. Yeah, yeah. I am I am male. I am feel. I am female. I am. I do interact through the, my body. This is how I encounter the world. This is how in and in, through seeing the body of the other person, I see the person and the beautiful notion of this, I see God, yeah, right? Yeah. And when you have this lens, shall we say, like um, a glaze that goes and covers over our eyes and, and, and keeps me from seeing the beauty, for instance, of seeing Alanis for who she is as a woman, instead of to want to objectify and piece her apart, there's no way I can have a genuine, real relationship with her to respect her for the personality that she is, to see her for the values she has, for the struggles that she may have. Sorry to put you on the spot here, Alanis, <laughs> right? You're the one, you're the token female in the room <laughs> and to uplift the dignity of all women as as the our, our beautiful faith does, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a massive problem and many people have no idea how to re- how do we move back to that or, or get some semblance of these healthy relationships again? And it's a very, very frustrating uh, result, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our, our attention spans are shattered too. Like what's the effect of that it has on adolescence that when you grow up, we have a whole generation of people that can't focus on anything. You know, it's like hmm. you're, we're so conditioned to, to swipe and, and scroll and whatnot that like when mm -hmm. you try to read a book – it makes it really difficult. It t at least it takes me a few minutes to be like, all right, I'm reading the book. I'm dedicated to reading the book. And five pages, I'm like, I've just been saying, I am reading the book. And I go back, 
But eventually you put the book down, you know? So it's like when you're dealing with a relationship, it's like, oh, I have to get to know this person when I could basically have like an Uber Eats relationship Mm -hmm. and just, Mm -hmm. you know, you end up putting the book down. Why do I want to commit to somebody when I can Mm. have a virtual relationship with thousands of women, be exposed to thousands of scenarios um, that don't exist in reality? Whereas, you know, back in the day, simpler times, it's like you met... The girl at school or in town or in college or wherever. And then that was kind of it. You hit it off and you got married. Now it's like the options are overwhelming that it doesn't even seem worth it to settle down and, and get to know someone at the, at a true intimate level. So we are in a very scary place now as a society of, of how do you focus on what's true when we don't even can't even define what is a man and what is a woman. And I think that's a really important point that you bring up. You brought up very, you used the word scary there, Ryan. I think in here, we have to realize is um, when we are not living out our bodies as gift, when we fail to do this, the experience of so many people with pornography, this is why it is used in an individual setting. Very rarely is it used with other people. It's not a shared relationship. It's not like going to the Sistine Chapel and thousands of people take in this glorious creation. Instead, it's this individualized experience and um, it's isolating. And what we find is with the experience of the guilt, shame, and the self-hatred. Now, and then, and then when we go, when we leave that darkened room after maybe hours and hours, oh crap, I got to go to work now, get dressed and get, or get showered, get dressed, go out into the world. And now I have to relate with a real person. Yeah. And, and in fact, where I was, I had the fantasy here and I'm pretty much in control. Relationships are not meant to be controlled. Mm. And so I'm afraid now that, that that's where that fear comes in. I'm afraid to show you who I am. It's because I have this layer of of shame that is just dominating me and if and if you have one person is living in shame and another person's living in shame how are we supposed to really communicate how are we really supposed to share ourselves and what's and and this is the the real satanic uh, mess of it against if i can say of it is this is about breaking down those relationships that we don't really get to know each other we talk past each other right and then and then just take the take the past two years where everybody's literally physically matching up and then we're also physically, we're masking up our hearts here. And now we're viewing other people as a threat while objectifying them. Humanity's in dire straits of being lost forever. Dang. Yeah, that's, uh, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Um, Steve, I wanted to say, I just really appreciate how quickly you were, especially as a woman, to explain that this isn't, this isn't just a man's issue. Um, yeah. I've heard the whole situation being likened to men who struggle with pornography. It feels like they're in prison. So obviously, mm. like, shackles, like, they feel like, um, yeah, they're just imprisoned by this addiction, but mm. they're in prison together. But with women, it feels like they're in an isolation chamber, like in solitary confinement. They have no one to talk to because no one is really, um, yeah, just vocalizing their own struggles with this. And you mentioned that about half of consumers are women, but I'm curious in your organization and your mission, are women actually reaching out to seek help um, in that area or is it mostly men? Yeah. 
Great question. So, and thank you, Alanis, for that. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think we have to get over the the idea that this is just a men's issue. I, I can't say that enough in, in yeah. this work. Um, certainly, I personally am working uh, currently with a woman. I've worked with other females in the past. Uh, we have brought on another female coach. We've had other ones in the past. And it looks like this one's really going to fit just other circumstances. One of them got married and she, she's like, it's time to, time to move on to things. God bless her. And she, she was a gift for us. So yes, you know, we, we do get these uh, women who are interested in, in seeking help in this. And, and then and I, just one commentary on this, um, especially is to any of our sisters out there who are hearing this, right? Who are, 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 are for whatever reason, find yourself attached to this. Um, you are not irrevocably, irrevocably broken. You are, there is nothing intrinsically wrong with your femininity. You are not someone who is ever unlovable forever. No, that's the lie of the evil one. And I want you to reject that. I want you to know that you are deeply loved in the woman that you are. But like some men who have found themselves down this path, you need to get to the root of what the wound is and to open that up, to get curious about what that wound is, bring that ultimately to the healer. And this is uh, this is one of the ways in which the path in which we help to walk with our clients, especially those women, to, and, and what they what they discover here in the process, they begin to discover themselves, right? The, the things that they, all of the use of pornography use. So this is obviously male and female, but let me speak to the women here. All of those desires for the attraction for men of men to see you as beautiful, to see you as good and worthy of, uh, of romancing you, right? That is a good God-given Given desire. Do not lose that, right? But the way in which you're going about trying to achieve that, whether it is literary, whether it is visuals, all of those things will never, never satisfy because it's not real. Right? And what you want is the real. So this is where there is great hope here, but it is a recognition that all of the unchaste behavior, which includes pornography use, is a cover job for what is the deeper wounds going on. And I think that's another thing, um, my, my brothers and sister, is we're so afraid to actually get real about that. And I think that's one of the weaknesses we find in the way people perceive the Catholic Church right now is we don't get real here. I mean, the priest, God bless them, right? How many homilies have you ever heard on this? I've heard, I think, eight in my life, and I think five of them have been online. Huh. We're not talking about these real issues and opening up what are the wounds and saying, I'm broken, you're broken, let's talk about it. And the sin is real, but guess what? There's a redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's come to save. Can we talk about that? This is how we begin to create this connection. It's kind of like in marriage, right? If we have these issues here, we think the way is to hide it. She'll never find out. Hello to your wife knows, guys. Open up, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, learn to lean into the pain. So for yourself, especially saying to my dear sisters out there, what's that pain? Instead of running, stuffing, hiding, or ignoring, start listening to it. Start to slow down. Start to spend some time there. And instead of medicating it with things that will never satisfy, go to where real healing can be there, which is real, genuine relationship. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, I, I think you touched on it earlier, um, just just the effect uh, that, that pornography has had, especially uh, on our identity and, and, the, and the lack of, of sort of um, understanding just what, what male and female means and where it comes from. I remember uh, a friend of mine uh, kind of explaining that, um, and and obviously this is a hot button issue, the the, the gender issue right now. But um, mm. but you know, with pornography, I, I think he he was saying something along the lines of like pornography really 
is sort of the root. I mean, obviously, like pride is the root of all sin, and then it's it's concupiscence that that we have now because of original sin that that is the root. But but fast forward to the the advent of pornography, um, all of a sudden, you know, he, he's saying that perhaps this is the root of the gender issue. And I, I think you did touch on this earlier is because, and especially, especially for women too, because it's like, well, you know, first off, like look at how these women are being treated in, 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 the, in pornography. It's like the woman is the, it, it, at least <clears throat> is the, the object that's being used. And so for women, it's like, you know, in a culture where, where they're being brought up, in a pornographic culture, and they're the object of use. It's like, well, why? Why would I want to be a woman? You know. Mm. And then all of a sudden, there's 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 the feminine issues where it's like, okay, well, men are using men are using women, and you know, all men are bad. Men are intrinsically evil, mm -hmm. and so and then men men don't get their fair share of like you know uh, respect in that way. When when all of a sudden the feminists come in and start like bashing men for mm -hmm. all the all the all the patriarchal, you know, sin. And then it's like, well, why would I want to be a man? Why would I want to bear any responsibility? And so it's it's just amazing how I think as I'm sort of reflecting on this and and what my what my friend had brought up, it's just amazing how yeah, it's just a, a lack of um understanding of of the sacredness and the beauty of the body and just using other people how it's really come to fruition in society. And 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 trying to just also remind our listeners that because again this is a hot hot button issue and um I'm trying to be as charitable as possible with this because I you know I know plenty of people plenty of people who struggle with same sex attraction and you know that that's not a that's not a blanket statement that that's why this has come about but I I, de I definitely think it's it's one of the reasons it can be a reason and I think it I think it all goes back to what Jesus said in uh in the sermon on the mount and I think this and when I was reading about your ministry, Steve, uh, you know, you, you really focus on vision coaching, and um, I love that. I love that. This all reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Matthew, right, chapter five, verses twenty-seven to twenty-eight. Jesus says, "You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart." So, you know, I, I guess. To, to sort of come off that, uh, can you talk about your approach to vision coaching and and just really helping people to see all humanity uh, with with through a pure and holy lens, um, wh whether it be people who have struggled with pornography or or people who, who haven't but are just exposed to pornography, you know, day in and day out with the media and and music, etc. Can you explain your approach a little bit? Yeah, thanks so much, Jack, and, and a beautiful lead-in, and, and just uh, one one simple comment, especially for those who are, uh, you know, who are experiencing same-sex attraction or, or 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 what's typically been called body dysmorphia, and and just not feeling comfortable in in their own body. I, I would just encourage, and, and hey, there, there's no condemnation here, right. especially all of us who are Catholic. No way, no how. All of us, and, and you're a great lead in there. We all experience the wound of, of original sin through concupiscence, the desire to be to be selfish, of, of not feeling our attractions in the right way. We're not We're defined by our attractions. Yeah, all of us. Yeah, we are. We're broken. This is why we need a redeemer, right? We are called to genuine love, and, and the, the quest for that love is very confused nowadays, especially 
through this lens of pornography where we're told that that it's mere pleasure. That's what it is. That's what relationships are supposed to be. Whereas if you if anyone here is a parent, you have to ground your kid, right? It's for, for breaking a vase repeatedly. Shall I use an example, right? You don't want to lock them in the room, but sometimes you need to because they need to learn tough love, right? So in, in this whole, whole perspective, right? The, the call of our body is always to is always the call to genuine real love, which, which comes back to that notion. This is part of vision coaching. What does it mean to love? Because if, if the notion is it's simply about getting as much pleasure with whomever, wherever, with as many people as possible, we're never going to attain what we're looking for. The language the church uses for genuine love is that we're called to make a sincere gift of ourselves, a free, total, faithful, fruitful gift of ourselves, right? And so for those, especially for those who are involved with pornography use or living unchastely or feeling uncomfortable with your body, and let's be honest, right? So many of these, these kids now who are in, in, in some places such as California, who are not being even, uh, their parents to be involved and feel uncomfortable in their bodies and, and to do these surgical operations, for instance, take a step back. What is your vision of the body? Where have you been getting these messages from? Mm. And many of these kids, what are they? They're getting it from social media. And yeah. just one, and I, I know we'll, we'll probably touch on this a little bit, but for any parents out there who are listening to this, who are like my kids struggling with this, or, or, or they're exhibiting some of these signs and exhibiting signs, especially on, on the, the struggle with pornography, this is where you, 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 you own the phones. You own the technology. They don't, okay? Um, this is where stripping them of that, and by the way, send them outside into nature to actually spend time, <laughs> go hiking, go out, to see the real things they find with uh, in, in, in kids who actually start doing this to, uh, for like six months or, or even a year of no social media, they begin to come back online. So in the same thing, what we can say here is this desire to be able to see comes first in understanding what is real love. But then part of our, a major part of our work is actually to be able to identify the truth about the body and to fill up that space with what's genuine beauty. So I'll give you an example, right? Ever been to Amish country? Anybody? Lancaster. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There we go. Okay. So um, in the Amish country, there are Amish people, shocking, and they <laughs> like to be pulled in buggies, right? And by the by horses. When the horses, when nature calls, what happens? Well, rope apples are released. Everybody knows what a rope apple is here, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're making it very real here today, kids. And um, so we're, imagine we're walking around, along in Lan Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, right? And we come upon a pile of road apples. Would you ever go up there and pick one up and eat it? No. They're thinking about it. No, no you wouldn't. Definitely right? not. Definitely not. It's no. a road apple. <laughs> it's an a apple uh, really cheap apple. No, it's. Uh, it's Sorry, it's, I don't know what a road apple is. They don't go to the. It's they poop? don't go find a bathroom. They just. Oh. Yeah. Like a apple. giant ball of horse poop. Great there stuff. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Stephen's <laughs> trying to be eloquent about it. Yeah. yeah. He dressed it up. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, great. I will okay. not eat that. <laughs> Let the record For all show. those who weren't sure, we're talking about taka. Right? <laughs> and the reason why the reason why you wouldn't eat this is because it's taka. And then I flip around to, well, why why do people watch pornography? It's the same thing. Huh. Mm. Whereas road apples are the physical raw apples are physical caca for our body. 
pornography, unchaste behavior in by extension, is kaka for a body, soul, mind, and vision. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we would never go and eat one of those is because we see it for what it is. But because we've been programmed by all these images and lies yeah. about this is what relationships are be, this is who male is, this is who female is, or there is no male and female, or do whatever, or make your 7,200 genders, whatever it is now, right? It's no wonder there's such confusion. And, but here's the deal. The shadow proves the sunshine. The fact that we th- we try to eat from the, the, the road out or we try to drink from the sex tank, you can only drink or eat that long enough till you start feeling ill effects, till you start throwing up. And so many people think this is just normal. Everybody else is throwing up. This is just the way life is. And I want to say that there's a better way to live, that we're called to live with a redeemed vision. We're called to see each other in truth, called to see woman as woman, that she is unique and unrepeatable. See man as man as unique and unrepeatable with all of our strengths, with all of our, 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 our frailties, to know that we're called to love that person. And when we can really see each other, God, this is, this is what's so exciting, right? We get our life back. I, I literally, th- this morning, I was working with a client and we, he's come a long way, okay? A long way, beautiful guy, right? And we're going through this process of how we identify an image. There's about seven elements we do in identifying an image and then going through something we call the vision game plan. And when, when we're, he's going through this and uh, we're checking in afterwards, like what, what are your emotions here? Because before these images would set him off, now he's like, this is kind of surreal. I know that there's some semblance of a pornified images here, but we've just identified it here. We've stripped the power out of it. I've made it, this person very real. You know, I, I want to pray for this person. Mm. It changes our behavior. And then, and then this is where it gets really exciting here. We start to get our, our self back. We start to get possession of ourselves, right? You know how sometimes when, when we're not living in accordance with ourselves, or we've been away from the sacraments for a long way, we just have that, that guilt and shame. But when we walk out of the confessional, and there's healing here. I feel I, I'm, I'm okay in myself. Then I start walking down the street and I start to see, for instance, that homeless person there. This is not just a bum who's begging for drug money, but this is some, this is a brother or sister of mine that is just down on their luck. You know, maybe I want to interact with them. Maybe I can learn how to love them. And this is not a fulfillment of Matthew 25 to those who see and love the least of these. You see and love me, says Jesus. Right. This is precisely how we change the world. So we need a redeemed vision more than ever. And, and just getting free from pornography is the first stage. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. Like you were saying, I mean, and you, you answered it, you know, how do parents fight that mm. temptation for their kids to be like everybody else? Because you don't want to give them the phone, but then you, I'm sure you feel terrible that they're being ostracized yeah. at school, that they're weird, they don't have a phone, they're not on Instagram, whatever. Mm. And then you start to kind of think, well, okay, if maybe there's some restrictions we can put on there or something like that. But it, it, it is a really difficult – it's really difficult to shake the culture, to shake those um, norms uh, for kids. And, and I guess – I mean I, I'm assuming the solution is just to delay phones uh, and introduce them to, as you said, like nature and real life and, yeah. and doing real things because yeah. we know that it's just a, a time – it's it just steals all oh, your time. Yeah, um, it's terrible. Oh, and it's so the, it's a slippery slope of well, everybody does it, like you said. And and as you mentioned earlier with with Alfred Kinsey, 
when he was doing, you know, male sexuality and, and female sexuality, he presented this idea during a time of the white picket fence of the 50s that, no, actually, everyone is pretty perverse behind closed doors. This is what they're doing. And he presented all this data, and it, it was alarming, like, whoa, everybody's doing that? My neighbors? The, so you create this distrust, and you also create this, like, revelation of, like, well, all right, if everybody's doing that, then that's that must be okay. And then, obviously, you know, the truth was that he falsified all these studies with people that were in prison, that were pedophiles, that were horrible, truly messed up people that needed help. Um, but the damage was done. You, you created this idea of that's what's going on. And if it is going on, then whatever. Behind closed doors, you do what you want to do, which might sound okay. But again, as we talked about, it has that ripple effect of you're creating a generation of people that are doing things and that just uh, uplift the perverse. And it, it doesn't get better from there. Um, but I mean, how do we encourage parents? Because I mean, I don't have... Uh, you know, a, a, a kid, but um, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do you uh, how do you tell them to stay stay strong when like you yourself don't have to deal with that? You know. Sure. So great, great question, Ryan. And, and again, um, a lot, a lot of elements here. Let's work some for, from principles, and then we'll work to some practicals on this. Okay. Um, knowing that you, as a parent, number one, you're going to make mistakes right? You have your own wounds here, right? Whatever healing is needed in you, work on that. Get real if you've made mistakes. Get real age appropriately to open those conversations up. Remember this whole notion of leaning in here, right? This is about humanity. Everybody's a hypocrite, right? But it's a matter of, okay, I acknowledge I'm a hypocrite. Now what, right? We have to realize that there is there are deep wounds, but there's great healing that can happen in Christ Jesus, right? So that's the first thing here. If, if second, if, the, if pornography is anywhere surrounding your life, it's been a part of your history, or you've got it anywhere in your bedroom or anything like that, A, you got to get rid of that. B, these wounds don't just get healed they, on, their, on their own. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Healing heals all wounds. You got to get real with this. So things like freedom coaching or something else that can bring about healing, you got to do that because your kids know, especially if you have daughters, they have a sixth sense. Ladies, Alanis, you know this, right? Um, women are given a sixth sense about whether something's on the up and up or something is not. They figure it out, right? So it's very, very important. Intuition. I'm glad you're giving me some head shaking. <laughs> right? And I, and I have... I have two daughters and we're, you know, ages 10 and 12 and we're right in the throes of this, especially they see a phone on the table like, Ooh, can I anything? Right. And we're like, yeah. okay, we got to talk about this. And, um, and Ryan, you brought a very important word up and that word is terrible. I feel terrible. Parents go ahead and feel terrible. It's okay. You're not your kid's friend. <laughs> you're her, you're the parent, mm -hmm. right? And you are to help to guide them, not to be good kids, not to be good at not to be good adults, just that, but to help them to be saints, yeah. to be set apart from a generation in many cases that is has lost their minds literally and they don't know what love is so you have a we have a tough job job out there and then also the idea is um one of the other principles we do not want to ever abide by what i do in the privacy of my own home doesn't affect anyone else baloney we are formed by what happens in the home mm -hmm. and then we go out and live our lives right so the mission that you're on my dear fathers and mothers that are hearing this it is critically important that you get very serious about this so is there a place to be said so let's get practical here is there a space and a place to be said for having parental controls on all devices Yes, there is, 
right? Because in, in many cases, right, our kids, their brains, I, and by the way, the question about adolescence um, wasn't, uh, I did not address that beforehand, so I apologize. So very briefly, we have adolescent brain until we're about 25. Our brains are in la-la land, pure emotion. And if you try to have a logical conversation with an, uh, uh, an amped up teenager, guess what? You're going to lose. It'd be better for you to smash your head against the wall repeatedly uh. than to try to have a counter conversation, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what I'm talking about. We had one, or we tried to have one this morning with a hair dryer and combing hair. Oh no! So, <laughs> oh, oh yes. <laughs> so, for, so from this, know that your children are not going to act logically. That's not their job. That's your job, right? And this is where, for you, what are the virtues that you need to grow in yourself, right? What is not? What is not caught? What is not taught will be caught. It needs to be modeled first and foremost. But that's why it's exhausting at times to be a father and a mother. But we need good, healthy marriages. We need good fathers and mothers. So if you're called to it, say yes to it. So there are those parental things with electronics. They should be, a, and a, uh, along with the electronics elements, they should be spending more time offline than online. So having these restrictions, children flourish in boundaries knowing where i where i stop and you begin critically important if you've never read the book by bound, uh, called boundaries by a cloud and bouncer they got boundaries in marriage boundaries and uh boundaries in, uh in, in parenting um there is these are these are classics in this whole thing children flourish with boundaries and even though you might think they hate me because I'm so mean. By the way, if your kids call you mean, it's a badge of honor. I can I'll embroider myself, <laughs> and I don't know how to embroider. Okay, mean dad. Um, <laughs> mean dad. Amen. I, re, I rejoice in that title. So very because you're again you the this whole culture in many cases like if we're trying to raise in our Catholic faith, right? The, if, for instance, right, you might be homeschooling. Or maybe you're sending your kids off to to a, a charter school where they're teaching about virtue, which is what we do. Or maybe you're sending, God forbid, to a public school nowadays that basically has no care for your children on the moral side, right? They're getting many of these messages here that are um, that are problematic. So as much as you can clamp down electronics, that's one part. But we have to teach them a uh, in addition to that, a proper way to use electronics, but even more, the bigger thing is, what is their view of the body? How are you teaching them how you view your body? How are they viewing their own body? When, for instance, right, you're walking down the street and somebody is not dressed in the way that reveals the full truth about themselves, how do you look at them? How do you speak about them? Oh, they shouldn't wear that. Oh, that doesn't fit right. What's the message that we're sending if we're saying that we're beginning to body shame, hmm. not right? And I wouldn't say body shaming is good in any way, but especially in this way, it would not because the message then, in some way, it's fitting the body is bad here. So, what the answer is is having healthy, appropriate, age-appropriate discussions about the human body. This is where things like theology of the body age appropriately to talk about these things. What is God's plan for the body? Have images, healthy images. The church has a wealth of images where the body is exposed appropriately, aka, for instance, the Sistine Chapel, yeah. where the body is exposed appropriately. And John Paul called, for instance, the Sistine Chapel, the shrine to the theology of the body, wow. right? So when, and when, when they see these bodies and the body itself becomes normalized, because here's the truth of it, the body is never pornographic. It is clothing that oftentimes is pornographic. It is clothing that at times can trap the eye. This doesn't mean we're going to walk around naked everywhere. No, it's flipping cold because we're heading into winter right now. But what we're saying is 
having healthy understanding of seeing the body, then what happens is if there's a continual discussion on this, a continual catechesis in the meaning of the body, when the lies come up in the conversations, the lies come up from what they see in media, and you have an open, honest, real dialogue with your children where your kids know they can share what's going on in their hearts. When emotions get eroticized, then guess what happens is they're not going to want to hide. They're like, I saw this thing. I yeah. felt kind of yucky. Can we talk about this, mom and dad, in, in however way they would say? It. And then this is where we can start to take a listening approach, not a not a wag your finger approach. But tell me, how did that make you feel when you saw that? Because here's the here's the deal. For think of any of you or any of any of those who hear it, who heard this. How many of us really had these open discussions, especially when pornography when we were exposed to pornography? Instead, those emotions got trapped. Yeah. And then we find an outlet in further brokenness, and then it moves into broken relationships. And then 10, 20 years down the line, we we find the, the guilt and shame has not gone away, but is magnified. We have an opportunity here to be a means of great healing here. And then obviously bring Christ into this. Bring your relationship with our Blessed Mother in there. Bring the, the sacraments in here. They need grace more than ever in a world where the evil one is literally hunting our children. This is what the transgender movement is. Not that the people who are experiencing body dysmorphia are evil, not by any means, right. but there's a movement. There are elements that want you to never discover what is God's glorious plan for the, plan for the body. But guess what? The truth always wins. So yeah. have beautiful images of this. This is how we begin to take back our culture. Amen. It's uh, it's spiritual warfare out there. I mean, that's, that's, I was, I was watching EWTN this morning and there was a priest, uh, on speaking and he says guys it's warfare life is warfare you know and and that's that's what it is and that's that's why we're confirmed in our faith is to to bear the gifts of the spirit to to go into battle and to yeah to be virtuous and and, and just help share god's light and love to the world steve you do such a a beautiful job um you know in, in your ministry coaching uh, thank you thank you for your witness um, thank you for what you do. Um, it's you're super encouraging to 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 me, to us, to um, to and and you know God, God willing, our listeners. Um, is there is there anything else you wanna you wanna share? Where, where can someone who's struggling with uh, pornography compulsion uh, or or just wants to learn more about you and your ministry? Where can they go uh, to find out more about Freedom Coaching? Sure. Thanks so much, Jack. And I mean, uh, the message I'll share and then, and then where you can find more about the work we do um, is uh, there's always hope here. One of the, one of the taglines that we use on our, pod, on our own podcast, the Redeemed Vision podcast, is that nothing is wasted. Everything is redeemable. All of the unchaste behavior, as we said earlier, there's a deeper root there. And that root, there's some de- genuine need that has never been expressed. There's something that hasn't been healed. Those things, we need to open that to the light, the light of Christ, and there can be healing and wholeness there to move forward with a life of hope. So to find out more about the work we do in Freedom Coaching, I encourage you to take a look at freedom-coaching.net. There's a wealth of information on there. We have our blog there. We have our podcasts, as I mentioned. Um, there are six other coaches who work with me worldwide. We're in English, Spanish, and Slovenian for all those Slovenian listeners here. Um, And uh, my my book can be found there called Redeem Vision, both in English and in Spanish. And if there's an interest or a need in uh, different school, uh, school presentations or parishes to bring one of us out there to give presentation on this or any element about male and female relationships or marriage or family life, um, you also can uh, find out the work that we do there. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
welcome. Steve, God bless you. And uh, ciao. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of A Reason for Hope Candid. Next week's podcast episode features Mario Costabile's interview with Father Gerald Murray. Father Murray is a canon lawyer, and he and Mario are going to be discussing the purpose and function of canon law within the Catholic Church. If you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast so you're always in the loop for new releases. We encourage you to leave a rating and comment if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on Spotify, we encourage you to give us a rating. Also, make sure to follow Array of Hope on social media and check out AOH Music. You can find all this information in the show notes for this episode. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be with you next week for our interview with Father Gerald Murray titled Law and Order. Until next time, peace be with you.